0: Welcome to Inspire Churches podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. We're calling today's service really a Connection Sunday. And it really is an opportunity for us just to come together, uh, to sit in rows and really experience what it's like to engage one another. Because on Sundays we're really busy, or maybe we're not, and we come in and we sit and we leave. And I really don't think that that's an accurate articulation of the body of Christ. And the, the reality is that some of us, we have very busy schedules or our time, there are different things that we do. And so Sundays, maybe for a lot of you, is the only time that you do interact with the body of Christ together corporately. And to come in and to leave um, is beautiful to hear the word of God, but sometimes you don't really get to know each other. We don't really get to look each other in the eye. And as awkward as that is, um, it is so necessary for our growth in Christ. And so, again, today we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, I'm I'm calling this, anybody familiar with TED Talks? Yes. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) But it's kind of a TED Talk situation. I'm going to make an attempt to slow down and dialogue with you and present a little bit rather than preach. Um, But we're going to just kind of engage one another. I'm going to have a dialogue with you in the end. We'll have something fun to do together. Um, But uh, I'm calling the talk this morning, um, uh, Created to Connect. We were created by our maker for connection. Uh, We were created, um, we were made by God to interact relationally. We were made by God to not just connect with him. We were made to respond we're all responders. In fact, that's what worship is. It's a response to the beauty of something. Right? In fact, when you're standing over the Grand Canyon... And you re- there's a response because you see the awe, the wonder, and the beauty of something bigger and greater than yourself, but you can't help but say, ah, or you can't help but just take a deep breath and bring it all in. And so what worship is, it's a response to the greatness, the beauty, and the glory of our Savior. And you were created to respond to that, but you were not just created to respond to God, but you were also created to respond to each other. Um, we were made to connect with one another. So I want to just kind of put a statement up here for you. And I just, I want to I read it to you. Um, and I want you to kind of think about this statement uh, as, we, as we enter into uh, this presentation. Um, and the statement uh, goes a little, something like this. Uh, what God has revealed to be true... About himself um, is also true about what he thinks of us. What God has revealed to be true about himself is also true about what he thinks of us. Now, what has God revealed? What has God revealed to himself? Specifically, what has God revealed to us about himself that has to do about connection and community and connectivity? What about God, the creator, has he revealed through his scriptures about himself to us that would give us an understanding about how we were created to connect and we were created to um? Um, to intimately relationally be with one another. Well, here's, here's one big thing. God has revealed himself to be, he is a triune God, triune. Anybody ever heard of the word, the Trinity, right? The father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. Now here's what's interesting about the Trinity. Um, let's 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 break that down for a second let's break that word triune down for a second okay uh when you see the word try you see three triangle three sides try is three now when i when i think of a three i think of the king of the three which is my man steph curry i I think he's on there a little bit right (laughs) there we go and so God is try or he is three and we also have my man Steph Curry shooting a free throw with if you know basketball that's worth one point so he is three and he is one everybody with me there pretty simple Now, the doctrine of the triunits, the triuneness, tri and unity, the three in one, this doctrine is actually extremely essential to the Christian faith. In fact, if you don't hold to that doctrine, then you're not considered to be a Christian. And so this is a doctrine that we hold as essential to our faith, the doctrine of God's three and oneness. Amen. Now, God has revealed himself to be trinity, triune in the scriptures, but actually this is how Jesus himself spoke of God in the gospels. So Jesus, while he walked this earth, he not only claimed to be God, but he did works and wonders um, as if he were God. So he would calm the storm and he would control the weather. That's something only God can do. Uh, But he would also, if you remember, remember he healed somebody and then what did he do? He forgave them of their sins. You remember the Pharisees were really angry with him, uh, not because he healed, but because how dare you say what? Your sins are forgiven. Because why? Only God. Can forgive sins, so Jesus acted and claimed to be God in the flesh. But that's not all we see. We also see Jesus referring to God as a separate, personal individual and calling Him Father. So Jesus says uh, He claims Himself to be God, but then He prays to the Father. He prays to the Father. He says that I'm I'm about my Father's will. I only say and do what the Father has told me to say and do. And so we have this reality of Jesus knowing Himself to be God, but also declaring the Father to be God. Are you with me? And then we have Jesus, upon his resurrection, ascending to the right-hand side of the Father. He's sitting at the right-hand side of the Father, and what he promised his followers is that what? He would send another in the person of the Holy Spirit. He would send another in the uh, person of the Holy Spirit. So theologically... The doctrine of the Trinity is just vast and mysterious, right? That three in oneness of God, like he's one, but he's three. That sounds almost contradictory, right? It's vast and it's mysterious theologically, but practically, what does the doctrine of the Trinity, what does God's triuneness reveal to us about us and about our need for community and connectivity? I'm glad you asked that question. In order to answer that question, we actually have to go back to the beginning. In the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, um, we're told that God created man. And you remember Genesis 1 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And what did he create him? Male and female. He created them male and female. Now, because we were created in his image, remember what is true about him, we can reflect in us. So what is true about our God and what, is he, what he's revealed to us about himself is also true about what he thinks of us. And so our God is triune and he created us in his image. I means something about us is going to reflect some of these characteristics and attributes of God. And so when you think about the triuneness of God and you look at man being created in God's image, um, here's what you see. The mystery of the Trinity is reflected in humanity. The mystery of the Trinity is reflected in humanity. Let me explain that. You see, humanity as a species is one. Are you with me? Um, There's one mankind reflecting the one true God. Yet, we see that that one humanity consists of what? Two, according to the creation count, right? So man was created in the image of God, both male and female, he created them. So we have man, one, male and female, two, and then ultimately, we see the mystery of the Trinity even revealed and exposed more on the mystery, really, of the gospel of Jesus Christ through mer- the institution of marriage. Anybody like The Office? Any Office people in here? Okay. Now, originally, I had Pam and Jim of The Office up there for you, uh, but now we just have a beautiful couple holding hands. Okay. We didn't want to offend anybody who doesn't watch TV here at church, amen? Uh, just kidding. That was a joke. It's a good time to laugh. I'm not sure if they do that at TED Talks or not. They probably don't even have notes, but here we go. And so what we see in the institution of marriage is the two becoming one flesh, the two becoming one flesh. So, so what, what does this all really mean? What does this all really mean for all of us in here? What does this mean? What is the Trinity and us being reflectors of the Trinity? What does it all have to do with to us? And what does it have to do about community and connectivity? Well, first of all, concerning God, right? God is a God of love. God is, let's try it again. God is, God is love. Amen? So, at the core of who God is, is love. Now, I want you to think about it God is eternal. In fact, that's probably mind-blowing to think about it. Uh, can you just sit there for a moment? Have you ever just tried to grasp eternity? Something has no beginning and no end. It never started and it never finished. Like you can just get lost trying to think about what it means to be infinite. God is infinite. We are finite. God is eternal. He has always existed. He, will, he always was and always will be. He's not just eternal, but he's also a triune. So what does that reveal? What does that tell us about this God who is love? God has eternally existed in community. There has never been one second or one moment in which God has not existed in a selfless, sacrificial, mutual exaltation of one another. The Trinity has existed in eternity as a community in a beautiful relational exchange. Now, what does that say about you and I who we were created in the image of this triune God? It says about that God has created us for community god has created us to reflect the community in fact god created us to invite us into this beautiful exchange the reason why god the the purpose the reason why god created humanity is so that we can join in in the glory and the wonder and the beauty and the love that they have been sharing with one another since eternity We've been created to enter into relationships with God, but guess what? Also with one another. Let me explain something really quickly. And um, this is an analogy. I was walking. I do a lot of walking, as you can see. Um, (laughs) I do a lot of walking. And I was walking around my park one day, and I saw a couple of guys, and they were barbecuing. And it smelled really good. It smelled really, really good. And uh, you know how I did that kind of walk around and just kind of s- got a sniff of it and kind of doing my laps. And then um, and there was a couple of guys there. You could tell. They, like, they were into it. They were just like, they were just going. And there was no wives and no kids. So I could tell that they had planned this thing out. Like, hey, we're going to get together. We're just going to queue in the park, right? And so one of them turned around and actually said, hey, come over here. Come over here to me. I was like, me? I didn't know what he was going to say at first. And as I walked up, I seen some ribs and, yeah, and I seen... <laughs> just just slabbed with their glaze and he was like try one I said me try one so I grabbed a rib and I ate that rib and I got to tell you it was smacking it was it was amazing I said thank you you know I gave them the God bless you and I walked away and then it hit me there's an analogy there <laughs> I think of these weird things There's an analogy there of why God created us. I I want you to see this. As I was walking around the park, these guys were already having a great time enjoying their ribs. Right? They were enjoying it. They were laughing. They were smiling. They were eating. They were enjoying their ribs. There was no need for me to come in to that picture. Whether I was there or not, they were enjoying it. But they wanted to invite me into what they were already enjoying so that I can enjoy it as well. I didn't add to it. I didn't take away. In fact, I may have added just to the fact that they brought someone else in to enjoy what they were already feasting on. And this is the beauty and glory of God creating mankind. He didn't need us He wasn't bored. He wasn't like up there by himself for eternity like, I'm going bored. I got nobody to communicate with. He has eternally existed in perfect, selfless, loving community. He didn't need you. He doesn't need us. But he decided to invite us into the beauty and the glory of what he already had. Are you with me? That was me when I got invited to eat some ribs. So concerning God, at the core of who he is, is love, and concerning us, we were created to enter into that relational exchange, and we were created for that community with God. Amen? We were created for community. But if you continue to read the story, something goes terribly wrong, doesn't it? Something goes terribly wrong. Um, Sin enters the world. Um, we bring sin into the world. And here's what happens. Sin distorts the image. You ever try to look at an image and it's distorted, so you can't really see it? You maybe make out a little bit, but ultimately you can't really see it. So you were created in the image of God, but when sin came in, it distorted that image. And so when people see you, they're supposed to see a reflection of the beauty and the glory and the majesty of God, but something terribly went wrong because when they look at us, they don't see that. The image was distorted, but something else happened with the distorted image came a corrupted community. So sin not only distorted the image of God, but with distorted images now walking around, no offense, but everyone in this room, you're just a bu- we're just a bunch of distorted images in here. And you know what distorted images do? They bump into each other and community becomes what? It becomes corrupted. And here's what happens in community. We engage in relationship, intimate relationship, love and exchange, relational exchange. But when community is corrupted, intimacy is perverted. Intimacy is, intimacy is perverted. Intimacy is distorted. And nowhere can we see that most maybe, and I'll give you an example, is the biblical understanding of love and lust. I don't know if you've ever thought of those two, but let me kind of tell you a little bit about what love does. You see, biblically, love is fueled by selfless sacrifice in order to build up another. You hear me? Love is fueled by selfless sacrifice in order to raise, build up another. Lust is filled by selfish gratification, not to build up, but to tear down for your own pleasure. Now, if you step out and on this, really just on the surface and look, sometimes lust and love can be mixed. Sometimes it can be confusing. Sometimes you can look from a, from a distance and look at love and look at lust happening. And our world confuses those things, doesn't it? In fact, as I was searching for pictures for love, right? I was trying to put some pictures to depict love. You get a lot of bedroom scenes as if that's love, as if love is demonstrated through this sexual, which love is so much greater than that. But we also know that in, in our world, in our culture, we commonly mistake love and lust but yet love is a selfless sacrifice so that another can be built up lust is a selfish pursuit so that you while you're breaking down another so that you can satisfy yourself and so sin entered distorted the image of god and with the image distorted community is corrupted And then with corrupted community comes the perversion of intimacy and the twisting of connection. And we go from building one another up in the name of selfless love to tearing each other down in the name of self-gratification. Now, I found a really good definition of sin. Now, if you're a theologian in the room... If you care about theology or the glory of God, when you first read this definition, you're kind of like, mm, I'm not sure. But as you unpack it, you really see that this is a powerful definition of sin. So sin enters into the world. And I love what St. Ignatius, that's a great name, amen? Let's start naming it. Maybe we get a little kid in here, a little Ignatius running around. St. <laughs> Ignatius of Loyola, look how he defines sin. Sin is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. Sin is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. Now, that sounds a little self-gratifying, doesn't it? But let me, let me go on. Sin is my inability to trust, ready? Ready? God's vision of good and evil sin is my inability to trust God's vision or God's version of what good is and what evil is this is why we live in a world corrupted by sin that calls evil good and calls good evil. We've taken what God has defined as good and evil, and we don't trust that he knows best. And so we define it according to our own selves, and we say, hey, this is what's good, and this is what's evil, and what we end up doing is contradicting the word of God. Why? Because we don't inherently trust God. Now look, listen, regardless of what name you put on sin, because the minute I say sin, all of you guys are thinking of names, behaviors, behaviors. This, that, I did this wrong, I did that, I do this. Regardless of what what name you put on sin, sin at its most fundamental level is an inability to trust God's definition of a good life. And so what do we do? We take it into our own hands and a lot of times we walk opposite of God because we don't trust that what he has laid out for us is for our greatest good. I want you to notice um, trust is the key word there. Trust is the key word there. And I want you to notice that sin erodes trust. It erodes trust. Sin erodes trust. And, and, And if trust is the foundation of our relationship with God, then sin is the enemy of that relationship. And the only way we're going to be able to heal and restore our capacity for relationship is if we heal and restore our capacity to what? Trust, trust again. And I'm looking out right now and I'm looking into your eyes and I can tell that there's some of us we struggle with, T-R-U-S-T, trust. We struggle with it. We struggle with it. We must learn to trust again. But here's the big question. How do we do this? How do we do that? How do we learn to trust again? How how, how can we heal and restore and trust God and learn to trust again? Can I share the gospel with you real quick? Can I share the gospel? Amen. Jesus, God in the flesh, leaves heaven, comes close to us, And what does he do? He puts on flesh and he walks as one of us, doesn't he? You see that? You see what's happening relational there? He's leaving heaven and he's coming to make what? Community with you and I. He identifies with us. He walks with us. He touches us. He talks to us. Jesus Christ is making, coming to make community with us. I love that. Now watch, why does he do that? He comes to bring community to us so that we can find the community that we lost with God. So what does he do? He walks the perfect life. He goes around and he, he, he restores what sin has perverted, doesn't he? You know, every time Jesus heals the body, Every time Jesus speaks a word of healing, he heals a mind, right? There was a man who was demon possessed, right? There was a man who he cast out demons. The man was cutting himself. And then all of a sudden, when Jesus was finished with him, he was sitting there and he was, the Bible says, he was in his right mind. He heals the body, he heals the mind. Jesus is the greatest holistic healer, uh, right? This is what he does. And what you see him doing in all of these snapshots is that he's making right what sin has distorted and what sin has perverted. He's bringing things back together again and making things whole. Are you with me? But then he goes to the cross and what does he do? He he realizes, and God, this is God's plan, that the most important relationship that needs to be restored is our relationship with God himself because there has been a sever. Sin has severed us with God. Do you guys know on the cross, the most painful moment for Jesus You know, it wasn't the nails, it wasn't the crown of thorns, it wasn't the piercing of the side. You want to know the most painful moment for Christ at the cross is? It's when he cried out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Some of you might be sitting in here today wondering, why is that the most painful moment? That was the moment in which Jesus was carrying the sins of the world upon him, and sin separates you from God, and in that moment, the Father turns his back on the Son. And for one moment, Jesus experiences what it's like not to have perfect fellowship with God that he has felt for eternity. How excruciating that must be. This pure, sinless, sacrificial lamb on the cross in one moment has to experience the presence of God lifted away from him in something that he has eternally experienced with the Father, the Holy Spirit. Why does he do that? Here's the gospel, are you ready? Jesus, in that moment, experiences loss of community with the Father so that you and I can be restored back into community with the Father. He takes what we deserve, he carries it upon himself so that we can be reconciled back to God. So, back to the question. How do we restore trust? Well, we believe in the gospel. The beauty of the cross, the beauty of the gospel, woos us into trust again. When we see our beautiful Savior sacrificing selflessly, elevating and lifting us up, we begin to say, this is a God that I can trust. This is not a tyrant in the sky. This is not a a tyrant in the sky waiting for me to make a mistake, waiting to throw me into hell despite what doctrine that you may have fundamentally believed. Here it is is jesus himself coming back to earth is saying if you don't reconcile with god you'll live a life separated from him and that will be hell but jesus has made a way for us to get back into relationship with the father you with me so how to restore community we trust in the gospel now here's what i want to say one day a teacher of the law went to Jesus and asked him, what's the greatest commandment? Does remember that story? What's the greatest commandment? Um, and of course, there are tons of commandments. And of course, the teacher of the law was trying to trip Jesus up, but Jesus looked at him and, and, and he responded with a scripture. And you can find this in Matthew 22, 37 through 39. He says this, Jesus says this, love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these. In Jesus' framework, loving God and loving people are inseparable. In fact, in fact, your relationship with God should bear out visibly with your relationship with people. And your relationship with people should bear out visibly with your relationship with God. Are you with me? How you are with God should then produce how you are with people. And how you are with people should then produce how you are with God. They are inseparable according to Christ. What's the greatest commandment? He says, love God, love people. Love God, love your neighbor. And I, for the sake of time, I'm going to go through this really quickly. But what is restorative community? Let me just say this. Restorative community is this. A lot of times, God will use what hurt you to come back and heal you. And if we can jump to that, and I know I'm I'm working with my team right now, a lot of times, God, what hurts you, God will use to heal you. Let me explain. Have you been hurt by a father figure? Has a father hurt you in your life? Many times God will send a father-like figure, a healthier father-like figure in your life to heal you in that area. Have you been hurt by a mother in your life? Many times, God will send a healthier, mother-like figure into your life to bring restoration to that area. How about this, have you been hurt by church? I know your story, I know many of you have in this room. And what has hurt you, God will send back to what? Heal you. And so a lot of times, if you've been hurt by an unhealthy church, God will then send a healthy version of the church to you in order to heal you back into church. Are you with me? Many times, what hurt you, God will use to heal you. And here it is. This is the messy ideal of community. This is the messy ideal of community in healthy christian community you and i are invited to step into a place where things or stuff comes up <laughs> what is stuff i don't know your stuff <laughs> this is the place where stuff comes up it's the place where we go ready community healthy christian community is the place where we go where our mistrust for god and our mistrust for people surfaces so that we can face it and learn to trust again so what's the enemies of community? And we're going we're gonna to do something a little bit different. What's, what, are, what are the threats of community? What is stopping us from entering into community? Well, there's four things. This isn't scientific. This is just something that I've been thinking about and talking about with others. Number one, four obstacles to community. Here they are. Number one, think about your own life. The first one is this. The first one is, and I believe it's sacrifice, but vulnerability. There it is. Vulnerability first one is vulnerability. Um, we're all afraid to be rejected like this poor little boy over here. Nobody wants to hang out with him, right? It's the fear of rejection. Like, have you ever entered into a space and you felt rejected? And so what do we do? We stay away. Why? Because we fear that if people get to know who we really are, they won't want us anymore. And so we stay away from community because we have a fear of being vulnerable. We have a fear of being judged and we have a fear of being rejected. Number two, sacrifice. No. Can you show up for connects? No. Can you serve on a team on Sunday? No. No, no one's laughing at that, huh? Yeah, I didn't think you would. No, 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 no. No, sacrifice. And here's what sacrifice is, right? Sacrifice is this. It's giving up something that's important to you giving up something of value to, to exchange it for something else. And a lot of time, communities over here, but you have all these things over here and you just don't have enough to jump into it. You're just not willing to sacrifice for it. And so your answer always is a resounding no. Next one. Capacity. And that's a really full bus right there. Looks like this room, amen? <laughs> Right? uh, (laughs) Some of y'all just don't got time, right? That that looks like some of your calendars. Some of your schedule, it's just packed. It's full. Or how about this? You got enough friends. You don't need any more. Like, some of you are still trying to get back to one of those friends you promised to hang out with. It's like, I got to hang out with friends that I promised to, and I just don't have any more room to plug any more friends into it. And so sometimes there is a capacity issue. And finally... (laughs) sometimes you just hurt and and this is I think a great example of a trust fall where this this old man is definitely not going to catch this dude right that looks like a really bad father figure (laughs) okay I'm ready right and you fall over and how many you felt like that before honestly how many have gone into community and you're finally ready and you were vulnerable and you're ready to take the, the you were ready to take the dive and nobody caught you and everyone's like ooh, we don't talk about that here right? Or somebody gave you a weird look or how about this? Have you ever told somebody something in church or whatever? And then they went and told it to everybody else. And so here's what happens is you've tried it before, but because you got hurt, you've decided you're not going to try it again. Now, can I tell you this? All of those reasons are really good reasons, but all of those reasons still hinder you from what God has created you, how God has wired you. That at some point in time. You have to allow the Lord to restore you with healthy, restorative community again. It starts first with trusting Jesus Christ and his beautiful gospel. And once he's brought you in with his gospel, then he brings you into a body of believers, a family of Christ. This is why we do this this morning. So here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna finish. But before we finish, at every table, there should be a facilitator there. We have two questions. Yeah, you're gonna dialogue a little bit. And if you don't wanna dialogue, I get it. I get it, I understand. Um... Um, and you could just kind of be a casual observer. So facilitators have been instructed. Nobody has to be forced to talk here. Um, but we have two questions. And uh, we'd love to just take the last moments together for you to spend a little time. Don't worry, we're watching the time for you to answer these questions. And, uh, and so that we can use the rest of our time together to engage. Um, I just, last thing, a lot of times, again, we come, in, we come in rows at church, like a movie theater. We got our popcorn, we got our donuts. We sit down, we watch, and then we leave. Um, But this is an opportunity to be the church and to actually interact and engage. And so so let's do that together. So facilitators, you know what's up. Everybody else, why don't you enjoy yourself? Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspired Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspired Churches through Instagram at Inspired Churches or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Inspired Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at InspiredChurches.com for more information.